I would ask that you would open your uh, Bibles uh, to 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, Last week we began a series uh, entitled uh, Elijah, a man like us. And we've been uh, beginning a journey last week looking at the biography of this incredible Old Testament prophet and all the amazing things that are involved in his life. And we looked last week at some of the history and some of the culture behind the life and times of Elijah. He was serving the northern kingdom. Of course, uh, the nation of Israel had been split into two kingdoms, and Elijah was serving the kingdom of the north, uh, the nation of Israel. And uh, it was not a pretty picture. It was not a pretty time uh, for the nation of Israel under uh, many, many difficult and uh, disobedient kings. Uh, very bad things had, had come about in the times of Elijah. Their religion had begun to change, and they began to worship and pursue the perversions of the prophets of Baal. And uh, we're going to learn more about that. But today we're going to focus our time in on 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. And we've been given an introduction uh, to this man, Elijah. But I want you uh, to notice something uh, here this morning that is going to be of of great importance. Because when we look at verse 1, as we did last week, we find right away with this abrupt nature, Elijah is thrown onto the scene, and he's thrown, if you will, into the fire uh, of serving God. He stands before Ahab. There's nothing more that is told of us of Elijah other than where he's from. And right after that, he is told that he is in front of Ahab, telling Ahab that the God of Israel lives, whom he serves. And he says that because of the sin of the land, there will be neither rain nor dew uh, until Elijah says so. What an amazing start. What an abrupt start uh, to this story. And yet we're going to learn, we would think, uh, that as a result of that, that a great nationwide ministry would take place. You know, you go before the king, it's now times to sell your books and to get your ministry and message out there. But that's not the way that God works. And today we're going to see that God had other plans for Elijah. Instead of going to the people, as many prophets do, that it was going to be the exact opposite. God was going to withdraw Elijah from the limelight, from the stage, and do a work in him. And so let's look at uh, 1 Kings 17, verses 1 through 7. I would ask that you would stand for the reading of God's word as we look at this incredible text. Now it says in uh, chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 17, verse 1, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord lives, the God of, I'm sorry, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Let's pray. Father God, we again uh, come to this man, Elijah, who lived thousands of years ago, Lord, uh, some 3,000 almost years ago, Father, and uh, we are blown away by the applications of the truths of this man's life. Lord, we know he was a man that was set apart uh, by you, but Lord, we recognize that he was an ordinary man, a man just like us, and so Lord, the truths that we learn from this man's life are the truths that we can apply to our own lives. So, Lord, I pray that we would do that today. Apply your living and active word to our lives so that we might be the Elijahs in our communities and in our world. So, Lord, speak through your servant now as we go to your word to hear what you have to say to us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. I want to speak on the subject of boot camp. And boot camp for the believers. Now, when the word boot camp comes up, for civilians like me, it conjures up the idea of crew cuts and fatigues and lots of running and marching. Uh, As I think about 
uh, boot camp. I don't think about pictures of fun, enjoyment, and club med advertisements, but a time of breaking down the strongest-willed individual to make them be uh, pliable for his leader's service. Now, I could speak to the idea of boot camp, but as many of you know, I never have been to boot camp. You can tell by my physique that that is incredibly real and true. And so I needed to find someone who had been there to speak to this, and and I did. And I didn't know this before, but uh, the great famed preacher, Charles Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll, uh, was a part of the U.S. Marine Corps, and this is what he speaks about his boot camp experience. Listen as I read this. I'm going to cut you down to size. If I heard that once during the 10 weeks I spent in boot camp over 40 years ago, I must have heard it a dozen times. As I recall, those words formed the theme in the opening speech. They were delivered with passion by a man I quickly learned to obey. Those words still play back in my mind. And the shrill tone of my drill instructor's voice remains a vivid memory today. He meant every word he said, and he always seemed to keep his promise. So there we stood, an unorganized, ragtag bunch of 70 or so young men of every conceivable size and background, thrown together in a strange place, having no idea, he says parenthetically, thankfully having no idea what was ahead of us. During the months that followed, every shred of self-sufficient arrogance, every hint of independent spirit, uh, and uh, let's see here, every thought, uh, let's see, every hint of independent spirit and all thought of rebellion was scraped away. Any indifference towards authority was replaced by a firm commitment to do uh, all that we were told, regardless of how we felt about it. We learned to survive in the crucible of intense, extreme training that characterized the Marine Corps throughout its proud and proven history. The disciplined regimen of boot camp, day after day, week after week, brought about remarkable changes in every one of us. As a result, we left that place completely different than what we were when we arrived. The isolation of our location, the absence of all soft creature comforts, the relentless, monotonous drills and demanding repetition of inspections, the tests that forced us to encounter the unknown without showing fear, all mixed with the maddening determination and constant harassment of our drill instructor, yielded powerful dividends. Almost without realizing it, we were learning to submit ourselves to the commands of our leader we ultimately found ourselves physically, emotionally stirred, and mentally ready for whatever conflict might come our way, even the harsh reality of facing the enemy in combat. I'm thankful that we have basic training in boot camp for our military because our military would never be able to face the difficulties of war, the difficulties of fighting an enemy if they were not prepared But likewise, just as is needed in the military realm, so we as Christians need to be taken to boot camp. And Elijah is an example of a man who was doing great and godly things who still needed to be refined by a drill instructor that we know as God the Father, who is going to change and mold and make this prophet into the prophet that God would use to do great things. Likewise, today, God is calling each of us to that boot camp experience, to be challenged, to be changed, to be molded, to be a greater servant of his, being ready to say, yes, master, yes, captain, when the voice of the commands come. And so we need to look at this. Now, this is something that goes on over and over in Scripture. Throughout uh, God, the time of God's people, we see God put his famous and most favorite individuals in boot camp. And so that's a sign that this is not an experience of God's displeasure in his people, but God's divine appointments in his people's lives. We see it in the life of Abraham, who for years was promised a son. And for years he would have to wait and have to endure this boot camp experience, waiting on this promised son, only to have the son and that boot camp experience to graduate. And right before graduation day, that boot camp experience would ask him because God commanded it to lay his son Isaac on an altar. What a boot camp experience for that man who had left everything he knew in the land of the Chaldeans 
to go to a place that had been promised to him, to have a son that would be promised to him years later, to only have to give him up. Well, we know the Lord didn't allow that to take place, but a boot camp experience took place there. What about Moses? Years after being known to be a part of Pharaoh's family, to leave all of the comforts and all of the great uh, thrills and wonders of Egypt, to have to leave, and for years being out in the wilderness, wondering what was to be made of his life, wondering why things had gone so terribly wrong. It was a boot camp experience that would lead Moses to come back into Egypt to speak on behalf of God and to lead his people out of the pro- lead them into the promised land. How about Daniel, taken into captivity as a slave, a foreigner, who would be used in several boot camp experiences to be one who would speak uh, before kings and those in authority. From a servant slave boy to one who would speak in the government affairs of a foreign land. It would be the boot camp experiences. It would be three days in the lion's den that would teach Daniel what it means to obey and to trust God in all circumstances. We can go to the New Testament as well. It was Peter's wilderness and boot camp experience after he denied his Savior three times. And during that time, the inward struggle and the pain and the fighting that went on, and it was after, only after that boot camp experience on the coast that Jesus would say, you are restored to ministry. And it's because of that boot camp experience that Peter would write some of the most wonderful words of love and affirmation to the people of God because of what he endured. And I can go on and I could tell you about Paul and his time in the wilderness and the boot camp experience that he had after his conversion. But I would be remiss if I did not tell you even Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, while here on earth, endured two boot camp experiences in his life. And I believe the reason why wasn't because he needed them per se, but because we needed to see how to endure those boot camp experiences. One would, begin at the begin, one would happen at the beginning of his ministry where he would be led by the Spirit out into the wilderness where he would fast for 40 days and 40 nights. In that boot camp experience, he would endure great pain and uh, hurt from the lack of food and sustenance and he would endure incredible torment from the devil who would come and tempt him on many different occasions. And then, of course, we can't forget the boot camp experience that would happen at the end of his ministry. The night that he was betrayed, he would go to a place called Gethsemane. And in that garden, he would endure a boot camp experience, asking the Father to turn away uh, the cup that was before him in any way possible, but then turning back and saying, no, not my will, God, but your will be done. Understand that if you're in a boot camp experience today, it may not be because you messed up or because you sinned. That may be a reason for it. But many times in the Bible we see boot camp experiences to grow the godly individual to be a stronger and mightier voice for our Father in heaven. And that's what we see in the life of Elijah. And so I want to look at three aspects of this boot camp experience this morning. And the first one is the assignment to boot camp. Now I want you to know as you look at the text... Nowhere does it say that Elijah made this decision that he was going to go and vacation uh, or have a holiday in the Kareth Ravine. No, it is something that he is assigned to. And understand this, none of us will ever pursue in our own thinking and in our own planning a boot camp experience. You'd be out of your mind to do that because it is a difficult time. It is a hard time. It is a time that will test uh, the, the strength of any man or woman. And Elijah isn't one who makes a decision, but he does it because it says in verse 1 that he is a self-proclaimed servant of the Lord's. And I think that's important for us to remember. He understood and he identified who he was and he understood his rank in the army of God. We need to be reminded of that as well. Because some of us go into the boot camp experience and we say, well, hey, I want to be general. I want to be the drill instructor. I don't want to be the private. I don't want to be the scrub. I want to be the one who's giving the orders. And we have to remember that in the good and in the bad, it is God who wills and and allows us to have our being. It's not us. And so we need to be obedient to the will of God when he calls us to stand before the Ahabs of the world and to be able to go to the Kareth Ravine 
when he calls us to. This would not be an easy assignment, as we'll learn about here in a moment, because it's going to go against every desire that Elijah would have. God doesn't want him to associate uh, with anyone for a period of time. And that would go against the human nature of needing community, and yet he accepts the assignment. Now notice some things about this assignment that we need to be aware of. First of all, we need to understand that it involves God speaking. It involves God speaking. The text says, notice in verse 2, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Now this is important because Elijah has already spoken on behalf of God. And nowhere in the text does it say that the word of the Lord came to Elijah to say anything about the drought that was coming. And so it seems that if uh, Elijah he may have heard from God, we don't know, But it seems ironic that now all of a sudden we are hearing that the word of the Lord has now spoken to Elijah. We don't know how this message came. We don't know if God, excuse me, God audibly spoke to Elijah. Hey, I want you to head eastward. I want you to hide in the Kareth Ravine and do it now. Hey, I don't know if that's how it happened. Did he send an angel? Did Gabriel come and say, do not fear, Elijah. I have come to bring you great words of great joy, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to head to Kareth, and I want you to hang out there, and the birds are going to feed you. We don't know. Maybe he got a fax. Maybe he got a text message. We're not sure how it happens. But this is what we do know, that God spoke, and Elijah heard it, and he took it as the word of God. And we need to recognize that and understand that. Now, some of you will say, well, I would be totally fine in being obedient if God would just say to me, all right, Tim, this is God, and I want you to do this. How easy would it be for us to obey in those times? If God spoke to you, how many of you have ever said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to. Just show me that you're there. Just show me that this is the direction you want to go in. Let me tell you something. We have, far more, uh, we have far more in the way of communication from God through his holy word than Elijah did. And some of us are looking for an audible voice, and I would tell you that we have the word of God, the great and precious promises of his word that speak to us, that are able to correct us and teach us and rebuke us, to equip us in every way. I think of the passage in Hebrews chapter 1. Turn there just for a moment. Hebrews chapter 1 that reminds us of how God has spoken to his people in the past and how he speaks to us today. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, the text tells us, let you get there. In the past, verse 1 says, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Christ has come, and the testimony of Jesus Christ is contained in the Word of God. And even above that, if we did not have the Word of God, I still think we're about as well off as Elijah would have been because as believers we have the Spirit of Almighty God living inside of us. That still and small voice that speaks to us, that tells us when we're falling into sin, that leads us back to righteousness. But this word of God is something that is able to help us in our day. And it will be able to lead us just as it did in the life of Elijah. Turn in your Bibles for a moment out of Hebrews to the book of 2 Peter. Keep going to the end of the book, uh, the end of the Bible. 2 Peter is a short book at the end of uh, the, the scriptures there. And in 2 Peter, let's see here, chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, it reminds us of what we have because of Christ and all that he has done. Notice what Peter tells us. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We have everything, Peter says. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world that is caused by evil desires. And so notice what Peter says. He says everything is at your disposal. You're able uh, to be a part of what he calls the divine nature, which which is an amazing thought. We can participate in the life of Christ. But notice what needs to take place. For this reason, make every effort 
You want to hear like Elijah did from God? Then make every effort to add to your faith goodness and goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. Now notice what he says in verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you aren't hearing from God because you're not adding to your life the knowledge that brings forth maturity, the faith that allows you to be stretched beyond measure, and the ability to love your neighbor as yourself. It is in that life that we will hear from God and that his voice will become most uh, loud, or loudest, if you will, in our times as believers. So God has spoken to Elijah and he speaks to us today. Now notice the symbolic spot that Elijah is assigned to go to. The symbolic spot. In verse 3 of 1 Kings 17, uh, we get uh, a little more information. Where is he to go? He is to leave here, uh, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine. This idea of uh, the Kareth Ravine is a specific spot. We need to understand that sometimes God speaks very specifically to where we are to go or what we are to do. Not all of God's commands are general, be good, uh, stay away from sin, pursue righteousness. Some of them are very specific, and we need to be aware of those. And in Elijah's life, there is a specific spot that God has called him to be, and it's symbolic, I think, of, uh, of what's going to go on. The word careth means cutting place. The word that is used, kareth, in the Hebrew means to either cut off from others or to cut down to size. It was a timber uh, terminology that was used. And how apropos it is for Elijah's time. He's going to be cut off from everybody else, and he's going to be cut down to size. That's what God is going to do at the Kareth Ravine. And the word symbolizes the work that is going to be done in Elijah's life. And so we have the symbolic spot that he's given to where he is going to be brought before God and the purposes of God are going to be done in his life. Notice the solitude. The solitude. The time at Kareth would be a time where he would live it alone. There would be no one around. It would be a hidden place. He would be concealed from all relationships and all people. It would just be him. It would be the delivery birds. It would be the noise of the brook. And it would be him just meditating and thinking on God, day in and day out. It seems very uh, sad to me that very few of us have that kind of solitude in our lives. Even if God wanted to call us to a place like Kareth, we would look at our day planners and our calendars and say, you know what, I'm sorry, God, I, I can't do it. Maybe, maybe I can squeeze you in in a month or two. But not so with Elijah. Elijah heads off And he's a part of a time of great solitude. Now, some of us think that solitude is like a vacation. And so you say, I need a little solitude. And so I'm going to go on vacation. And I'm going to go to Walt Disney World. And we're going to be up at the crack of dawn. And we're going to go until the end of the day. And we're going to eat. And we're going to drink. And we're going to ride rides. And then we're going to do what happens after you ride rides, after you've eaten and uh, drank and and all of that. And we're going to get home. And we're going to be more tired than we did when we left. Would some of you agree that that's how your vacations are? And you say, well, I need a vacation from the vacation. This is not vacation. This is a time that is set apart where it is just you and God. And Elijah goes and he obeys, and it's just him and God sitting by himself, meditating on the truth of what God has for him. It has been said that when there is no time to do it, that's when you need most to unclutter the calendar and get get away to pray. When the gridlock in your schedule relentlessly forbids, it is time for you to have retreat. This is when your heart beats against the prison walls of your enslavement and says, Yes, Lord, I want to spend time with you. This is important. Solitude. He's getting away with God. Notice the span of time that is there. Commentaries tell us that the span of time that takes place is somewhere between a year and a year and a half. They're not quite sure, but based on the timeline of the story of Elijah, it is a long period of time. Now, any of us could spend a day away from everybody. Boy, many of us would say, that would be great, just a day away from the cell phone and and from the kids and from the daily activities of life. I could do that. 
Some of you may be able to endure a week, but how about two? How about a month? How about two months? How about five months? Just you and God. Would that be satisfying to you? I know for me, I would, I would want my TV. I would want to be able to be connected with my sports teams. I would want to make sure my kids could come for visits. I would want all of that. But would it be enough if God was to take everything away in your life and you would be able to say, the Lord, you've taken everything away, but you're all that I need. We sing that, but do we mean that? It is the solitude over the span of time that is important, and it makes the boot camp experience what it is. Notice the steps of obedience. Notice what Elijah does. Verse 5. There are three phrases that if you underline in your Bible, I want you to underline today. And they are very important phrases, I believe, in the narrative. First of all, the first one is, he did. Underline that in verse 5. He did. Next underline in verse 5. He went. And then at the end of verse 5, and stayed there. I believe there are three steps to obedience. While it may not be explicitly put there in the text, I want to draw some things out of it. Elijah makes a committed decision that he's going to obey his God. And so he hears the voice of God and he says, okay, I can do that, God. He did. I think that's what's in that part of that verse there is that he did it. There was no question. There was no hemming or hawing about it. He did what God called him to And that would lead from faith to action. He went. He didn't just talk about doing it and say, yeah, I'll put that on my schedule. I'll get that on my calendar. That's that's something important. But he went, and he put his faith to to the task before him, and he began walking steps of faith so that he would be obedient. And then the text says he stayed. It is easy to do. It is easy to go. It is hard to stay. And some of us find it very difficult to be able to do that. We're ready to take on the task that God has for us. Yes, God, I will do that. Yes, God, I will serve you. But then after the days go and we find ourselves there over and over again, the same thing, the monotonous life, we begin to say, Lord, how long? And our feet get restless. It's like telling one of my sons to sit quietly in the corner. Don't say anything. Don't do anything. And they can't. And one of them once told me, I can't, my my feet are going crazy. As Christians, our feet go crazy. And I think it's an amazing picture of obedience that he did what the Lord said, he went where the Lord called him to, and he stayed until God called him somewhere else. Some of you have your feet dancing right now. And you want out of where God has called you. And look at the step of obedience that Elijah had. He stayed until God had another word for him. Notice finally God's supply. God's supply. We're told in the text in verses 4 and verse 6, two mentions of what we see. First of all, we see God's promise. In verse 4, notice what the text says. He says, I'm going to take care of you. You're going to drink from the brook, and I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. And then in verse 6, the promise becomes a provision. The provision is given. He goes there, and the birds come, and they feed him morning and evening, and the brook is there, and he drinks. Now, this is important because we're going to see that God meets needs in two very different ways. First of all, he gives them the brook, and the brook is there. There's nothing miraculous about a brook. Every one of us has seen some sort of brook or creek or, or river. It's not hard to see that. That's not very miraculous. And so God sits you next to the Fox River, and he says, all right, he says, wow, watch my power, drink from the brook. Okay, God, that's nothing big. I could have told myself to do that. I get thirsty, there's water there, I'll drink it. But this is where God comes in with the miraculous. He says, I'm going to feed you with, or give you drink constantly. You can have it whenever you want, but I'm also going to feed you by ravens. And these ravens are going to come in the morning and the evening. And they're going to feed you. God ministers and, and serves us or uh, supplies us, not just in, uh, with means that we see and know to be true. He's given us a job. We go to work. And that's a provision that God has given. But he also gives us provision in the miraculous as well. Sometimes we're given something that we would have never seen coming. And it's only by the hand of God. 
God's supply is there. Here's the assignment. Elijah takes it. Some of you, God is calling over and over again to this assignment. And I want you to look at these things and say, what am I missing? What am I pursuing? What are the things that I am not allowing God to speak to in my life? Because until we understand our assignment, until we go there, we can't look at our second point, which is the advantages. What are the advantages of being in boot camp? There are advantages. Anyone who has been a part of a war will be thankful for the time that they found themselves in boot camp. The preparation that was there, all of the truths that they were given on how to be the best soldier they can be. But until we get there, we won't be a part of it. Elijah would not experience blessing at Kareth until he had stepped out in faith and obeyed God and went to the place that God had called him to, the very specific spot that God had called him to. And so notice the advantages that come. I don't know about you, but I don't think there are many advantages from a human perspective. I wonder what Elijah was doing when he was packing up, as he was leaving uh, the area of Israel to head out. Someone says, hey, Elijah, what what are you up to? He says, well, I I got a message from the Lord. What would the message of the Lord say to you, Elijah? I'm to head to Kareth. I've never heard of Kareth. Where is it? Ah, it's some rocky, rugged place east of the Jordan. Well, that sounds nice. Going to go backpacking, huh? Yep. Uh, what are you going to take? Nothing. How are you going to eat? Birds are going to feed me. How are you going to drink? There's a brook there. Are you kidding me? That's what you're going to go do? I think of that anytime any of you guys talk about going into the uh, upper peninsula of Michigan and the boundary waters, and, and uh, this is great fun. We go, and we, we have to find our own food, and we have to walk to our campsite, and we have to build our house, and we have to make our food and do all that, and it's just great fun, and there's no TVs, there's no nothing. And I'll tell you, my boot camp experience involves a Marriott, an in-ground swimming pool, and ESPN 24-7. And so for me, this doesn't do anything. But you Gander Mountain cult people, you love this stuff. You eat this stuff up. This is what the Bass Pro Shop's all about. As far as I get in camping is going to the Bass Pro Shop. That's it. And we just go there to see Santa Claus at Christmas time. But there are advantages. Notice what the advantages are. First of all, protection. There's protection in Elijah being called to Kareth. He's going to protect him. Now, notice uh, how all this went down. I've been thinking about this, and and, and I may be speculating, but I'm going to give you my interpretation of what takes place in uh, 1 Kings 17.1. Elijah comes into the court of Ahab, and he says, it is not going to rain. There will be no dew until I say so. If Ahab took him on his word, Ahab would have had Elijah dead before the last word of that prophecy would have come out. Don't you think? If he wouldn't have liked it, he would have killed him. There's no way Elijah would have gotten out of that uh, court, if you will, uh, to be able to see another day. And so what I'm going to believe is, is I'm going to believe that Elijah came in, an unknown guy, Ahab had never seen him before, never heard of him before, and what he does is he says, and I'll put it in our context today, I come into your place today and I say, I just want you to know, until I say so, the snow will not melt until I give the command to do so. Your first response would be, are you kidding me? I knew there were some loose screws in your head. And and I'm not going to believe that, whatever. You know, that guy's lost his mind. But what would happen when we're a month from now and the snow's still out there? What would happen and how would the farmers feel when it's April and May and we got 20 inches of snow sitting out there and the piles of snow are still there? You better believe they're going to want to come and find me. Where is that idiot that said that the snow wasn't going to leave until his word changed that perspective or that, that situation? I believe that Ahab blew Elijah off. And what God says is, hey, before, Elijah, or before Ahab figures it out, get lost. Before people start looking for you, I want you to go and I want you to hide. I want you to conceal yourself because they're going to come looking for you. You're going to be on, a, on Israel's most wanted. You're going to be the one that has a bounty on your head. And I think that what happened was over a course of time, the anger of the people became more and more. 
And so write down the protection of God's prophet. And then under that, write the protection of God's plan. I want to bring up one other thing very quickly. And that is that I believe God was protecting his own plan, not just protecting the prophet. And what I mean by that is it would have been very difficult. God had prophesied through Elijah that there would be no rain or dew for a long period of time, God was pronouncing famine on the land. And when famine hit the land, there would be people who would starve, there would be people that would be in want, and the people of Israel would be murmuring and crying out for the pain to quit. And had Elijah stayed there, it would have been an incredible temptation to fall prey to just releasing the people from it. Think about that for a moment. If you had the answer and you saw people hurting and people dying. We're going to learn that uh, next week that he goes to a widow's house and they're about to partake of their last meal. And she says, you've come and we're, we, this is our last meal and we're getting ready to die. What a terrible time. And I think what God says is you're not man enough to hear uh, the screams and the anguish of people that have turned their back on me. And so I'm going to remove you. And as the God that I am, I'm going to bring judgment on the people that I love and that I care for. I'm going to bring judgment, but I know you can't handle it. And so I think there's a protection of the prophet. I think there's a protection for the plans of God. Sometimes God removes us because it's too much of a temptation to have us there. There have been meetings, there have been situations where I have, have supposed to have been somewhere. It's a, it's a big, important thing I'm supposed to be a part of. And God has said, you know, I'm not going to let you go. I'm so angry and I'm so upset. And then years later, even months later, I look back and say, I'm glad I wasn't there. I would have lost my temper. I would have said things I shouldn't have. I would have directed to go a different direction instead of the way God wanted it to go. And sometimes God removes us because he's got a plan for us. Notice after the provision, I'm sorry, the protection, notice uh, then the preparation that is given. God's going to protect but he's also going to prepare Elijah. He's going to cut him down to size. Things aren't going to get easier. They're going to get harder. God's going to teach him some things. First of all, he's going to teach him discipline. That's what we learn in boot camp is discipline. What God says to Elijah in his circumstances is, I'm going to teach you what it means to be disciplined. You're going to learn obedience. And I'm going to send you to a far-off place. I'm going to send you to a place that you've not been. I'm going to send you to a place where you're going to have to just trust and understand that I know what is right and I know what is best for you. And so your response will be at all times, yes, God, I will do that. He's going to learn discipline. He's going to learn that God is the boss. He's going to have his spiritual muscles of faith turned into obedience. So God's going to put him in some tough spots. Some of you this morning are in tough spots because God is preparing you for something greater. And you sit there and you're with anguish. You're saying, I don't like it. I, I don't want it. Well, you will never, ever get to the place where you want to be in your Christian life until you start working your spiritual muscles to get there. And Elijah's having his spiritual muscles worked so that he can go to the next level. Notice he learns dependence as well. Discipline and dependence. He would learn to trust God one day at a time. One meal at a time. He would see how God would sustain him in the times of plenty. We will learn next week how he was going to be sustained in the times of want. He would surely not be able to accomplish the greater feats of standing before the 450 prophets of Baal until he learned to wait on God for his daily ration of food. You see, some of us aren't being taken to the next level as Christians because we are so dependent on self. We've got enough money, we've got our jobs, we've got our health, we've got all these things. And it's the boot camp experience that brings us to our knees and we sit there and we say, God, what are you doing? I had life all figured out. And God says, I want to teach you discipline, and I want you to know that you are going to have to depend on me for every breath you take and every step that you make. You're going to have to depend on me, not on self. And this is what God is teaching Elijah. And so the food, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to trust. It's not your desire to have the same food over and over again. To not have Coke or Pepsi or root beer. You're going to drink water. 
God, I don't like that. You're going to learn to like it. I'm going to discipline you. But God, I, I, I want to be able to pack away some food. You're not going to be able to because I want you to be waiting for those birds expectantly. And as I come and as I bring that, I want you to be overjoyed. And I want you to know you can trust me. The advantages of boot camp involve our protection and our preparation. Notice finally the adversity. I don't want to spend a lot of time here. But the adversity, notice verse 7. Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. We read this and it is so sterile to us in our Bibles. I, if you underline or circle or, or X marks a spot, I would just just fill that page with a circle around that word, the brook dried up. I don't think we recognize what that means. We live it, but we sit and oh, Elijah had it good. He was drinking and the brook dried up. And, and I don't think what happened was, is verse 7, it didn't happen like this. Sometime later, the brook dried up. And immediately after that, the word of the Lord came to him and said, go at once to Zarephath. I think there was some time. I think Elijah looked at that brook and saw that brook uh, water level drop more and more. I wonder if Elijah, I shared this with my small group, if Elijah started trying to fill up buckets or something, he saw the water leaving. i gotta, got to make sure I've got water. I can see that it's got, and the anguish that must have filled Elijah's heart and mind. And some of us have done what Elijah's been called to do. He did everything that God wanted him to. He went there. He stayed there. This guy's been obedient. And God has met him. And so you take a simple math equation. A, obedience to God. B, God's blessing and provision in light of that obedience equals C, a happy and joy-filled life. But that's not what happens. He obeys God. God meets his needs and sustains him for a period of time. And then the brook dries up. Let me tell you something as I close today. Some of you have obeyed God. You've done everything that God has said. And for years you've seen God's provision. And then all of a sudden, on a random Tuesday, the brook dries up. Some of you have been serving God and you're doing everything you're supposed to. You're trying to love your husband or your wife. And everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, they turn around and they look at you and say, I don't want to be married to you anymore. What is that? That's the brook drying up. You've raised a child. You've done everything you were supposed to with the child. You've tried to train them in the way that they should go. And what happens as soon as they turn 18? They're out the door. What is that? That's the brook drying up. You have a great career. You've, everything's going well. You're the leading salesman in your company. And everything's going great. And then you get a couple phone calls. You know what? We're going to use someone else this year. This isn't going to be the direction we're going to go in. And you find yourself with a pink slip. What is that? That's the brook drying up. Everything's going great for you. And one day you wake up and it seems like nothing has changed and you've lost all hope, you've lost all sight of joy in your life and a pursuit of what God has for the future. You can barely get yourself out of bed. What is that? That is the brook drying up. And some of you today have woken up and all of life has fallen apart because your brook has dried up. And you wouldn't be a man or woman enough probably to say that but your heart is resonating with that because that's what life is all about. The Christian life is God allowing the brook to dry up. And so what do we do with that? Let me give you just some very quick principles to live by because the text doesn't give us an answer. And so I'm th so thankful that the scriptures aren't only uh, 1 Kings 17, 1 through 7. We would miss out on a lot of truths, but I'm so thankful for the 66 books that are given because it tells us a couple things. First of all, when your brook dries up, remember, God is attentive to our needs. The same God who was attentive to the needs at, uh, at the first day at the brook is the same God that was there meeting and attentive to the needs of of Elijah when the brook was gone. You don't need to wonder, does God know my pain? Does God know I'm unemployed? Does God know my marriage is in shambles? Does God know my child is walking away from us? Does God know that? God does know that. God says he knows you like we know our hand. You're indelibly put in his hand. He knows the hairs that are on your head. He knows your beginnings. He knows your end. He knows your comings. He knows your goings. And he knows that when you're in the shadow of the valley of the shadow of death, he knows you're there just as he knows you when you're on the mountaintop. 
Matthew chapter, uh, let's see here, I'm getting too worked up. 5, 25 through 33 says, look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. Do I not take care of them? And if I take care of them, how much more will I take care of my children? Some of you are wondering if God has abandoned you. And I would say God is aware of your circumstances so much more than you would ever know or imagine. He's there. Number two, God addresses the needs of his people differently. In a time of famine, God addressed this issue. And I'm going to tell you a part that we don't like to hear. Number one, God addressed the issue of the famine with people. There were people in Israel who would die as a result of the famine. And that was God's plan. I don't understand it, but all I know is that we serve a loving and kind God who does not delight in the death of the wicked. But there were people that died during that famine. That widow's ready to die. And so God's answer to their issue was that they were going to lose their life. Their life was going to come to an end. But notice number two, we'll learn in chapter 18, that God would provide for other prophets of the land by the help of Obadiah, the king's uh, uh, court uh, worker. And they would be hidden away. And from the king's table, God would minister to those prophets and give them the food that they need. No brook, no ravens, but Obadiah would come. He's Oscar Schindler of 1 Kings. And he comes in and he provides. And he takes care of, from the enemy's hands, he takes care of the people. And then there's Elijah, who is given bread and meat by birds and water from a brook. God meets our needs differently. And so if you watch someone and someone God deals with your need in one, or deals with their need in one way, understand that that's not always how God will deal with it. Sometimes there will be times where God will do exactly opposite. Well, God cured her of cancer, so I guess God will cure me of cancer. There's no promise of that. Well, their marriage stayed together, and it worked out okay, so I guess our marriage will stay together. God doesn't promise that. It's going to be addressed differently. God's going to address those things in different ways. Number three, sometimes our answered prayers affect us negatively. Have you ever prayed for patience? Don't do that. It will affect you negatively. You ever prayed for endurance? You ever prayed to be a light in your community and lose all standing, all, all respect? Have you ever prayed to depend on God? Lord, I want to be dependent on you. God says, all right, no paychecks for a couple weeks. Try that on for size. So it's getting close. Some of you are laughing and there's cries behind it, I know. Sometimes our prayers are going to affect us negatively. Elijah earnestly prayed that it would not rain. And you know what happened? He ran out of water. Way to go, Elijah. You big mouth. You pray for something and it comes true. Sometimes that happens. But two more. The God who gives also is the God who takes away. God gives you a job, you praise God. God takes that job away, you praise God. God gives you a child, you praise God. God takes that child, you praise him. God gives you a spouse, you say, thank you, Lord. I love this spouse to death. I'm so thankful to have a partner in life. But then he takes that spouse away, you bless him. Job says he gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God gave him water and gave him food and then he took it away. Does God have that right? Every one of us should say, yes, he does. It is our God, the sovereign God, who gives, and it is the sovereign God who takes away. And in your time of want and in your time of plenty, you should say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Finally, removal from active duty is never fun, but it is needed. God always calls us, and he knows what he's calling us to. And so you may have been removed from your place of importance And he may have taken you to the wilderness and stripped you from all self-sufficiency, self-righteousness, self-interest. And he's doing that to mold you into the vessels ready for his use. A.W. Pink said, every servant that God designs to use must pass through the trying experience of Kareth before he is ready to triumph at Carmel. Before you can go to the mountaintop, my friends, you've got to experience the valley. Some of you are struggling through a boot camp experience this morning. 
and you're wondering why, where's the God that loved you before? And yesterday, I, I do morning and evening uh, devotionals by Charles Spurgeon. It's n- not as holy as you think it is. It's a half a page long. But this is what it said for February 12th. The scripture was, and I'll close with this. Just as the sufferings of Christ flow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. 2 Corinthians 1.5. This is what Spurgeon said over a hundred years ago. We see a blessed balance in this verse. The ruler of providence holds scales in his hands, putting people's trials on one scale and then placing their overflowing comfort on the other. When the scale of trials is light, the scale of comfort will be light as well. But when the scale of trials is full, the scale of comfort will be equally as heavy. When clouds are at their darkest, God's light is more brightly revealed. When night comes and the storm is raging, our heavenly captain is always at the very closest to his crew. What a blessing to know that when we are, at our, when we are the most downcast, we are most sustained by the comfort of the Spirit of the Almighty. Maybe today you're in Kareth, and you're being cut down to size. Be obedient. Stay there, remembering that God doesn't just bring pain, but he brings you what you need to get through that pain so that the ministry, the opportunity, the mountaintop experience that God has for you will be ever more greater and more wonderful because you've been to the valley and you've had to depend on God so that in those times of plenty, you will depend on him all the more. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you are the God that gives, and we have been blessed. But Lord, we also recognize you are the God that takes away. And so Lord, I pray wherever we may be, whoever we may be, that we would be obedient to stay at careth in our lives until you've called us out of it. What an example Elijah was. He did He went, he stayed. Lord, let those steps of obedience be true in our lives so that we can endure those difficult times, that it feels like our life is caving in, that we will keep our head up high and not based on who we are, but on what our God, who our God is and what he has done. We will be able to endure the times of great difficulty knowing that the trials of life create character and perseverance. And it is why we should consider our times next to a dried up brook as joy. Oh, the work that is being done in our lives and the love that you are showing us by disciplining us and calling us to be dependent on you is greater than we would ever be able to articulate. So with one voice, Lord, we say thank you. Lead us in those times. Guide us in those times. Lord, we pray you would sustain us in those times. This trial is not done for Elijah. And Lord, I know that today people will leave excited and encouraged. But in a couple moments, the reality of their trial will remain. I pray for my brothers and sisters in those trials. That you would meet them in a real way today. Thank you for this time around your word. The time to worship the God who does give and take away. The sovereign God, ruler of all things, including us. We thank you and praise you. And now leave this place in obedience for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.